Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Shep Messing, and I'm a guy who's lived a life in soccer at just about every level, from college to the Olympics to the U.S. national team to a pro career. I've also been a player agent and a television broadcaster. We're bringing you this podcast so we can discuss my views of the world's most beautiful game. So in the highly competitive podcast universe, there is room for one more. Thanks for giving your time and attention to the first ever edition of Believe in Soccer, the Shet Messing Daily Cast. My name is Steve Cangelosi, and when your decades-long friend, an American soccer icon, requests your presence to anchor his podcast, you say yes, and you hope it doesn't lead to the demise of your friendship. Seriously, this is a labor of love. This is a podcast that will include guests, some you've heard of, some you haven't. And each day, Monday through Friday, we'll tackle news, hopefully break news. But most importantly, look at the game through the lens of someone who's lived it, breathed it for 50 years. This first edition may have a different flavor to it because we need to get introductions out of the way. And I will start with this. What are you doing? There are enough people out there who take issue with the things you say on television. You don't need this in your life. And yet five days a week, you have requested this platform. Why are you podcasting? <laughs> That's a great first question. And, and you hit the nail on the head, Steve, because I, I love the sport, obviously. And from my days as a player into my career as a television broadcaster, I've either been loved or hated. There's, there's no in-between. Why? Because I speak my mind. I, I try and go unfiltered. Uh, I say whatever I think, and whatever happens, happens. So I, I've avoided the public scrutiny on Twitter and social media, and I've decided I'm always up for a new challenge. So I'm diving into this. I want what I think out there to the, to the people who love our sport. I'm up for an intellectual discussion about any topic. And I could sling some mud as well. So, you know, this is like me in a dark alley uh, talking about the sport I love. Uh, you know that I expressed a reservation about doing this with you for, for one simple reason. I, I never once wanted the perception that this was some broadcast team from New York that was going to spin uh, a podcast a certain geographically centric way. I, I, I thought that, if anything, it should be much more than that. So we're going to do our best to avoid that as this relationship here on the podcast starts. And here's what's interesting. We're recording this first podcast on the first full NFL Sunday of 2020, right? So all across America, fans have been anxiously awaiting this day. And when projecting the popularity of the game of soccer 40 years ago, wasn't soccer supposed to resonate like this by now, right? So where did the guardians of the game fail in bringing this sport to the forefront of the American sports landscape? Can you possibly answer that for us? Yeah, I think I have an answer for everything. I, I, I could be wrong, of course, but in my heyday, that's all I heard from Howard Cosell and the likes. It's going to be the sport of the 80s. It's going to be the next big, big sport. It's going to overtake the NFL and the NBA and the NHL. Why didn't it happen yet? I think there are a myriad of factors, but let me let me spin it quickly. In, in the 70s, when I was in college, 
college soccer was a big thing. St. Louis, San Francisco, Indiana. To play in, mm. in college soccer, I, I got to the Final Four two times. College soccer was really the focus. There was no pro league or a minimal pro league. The next step, when I got back from the Olympic Games, they had launched a professional league. Again, no youth soccer. It was high school to college and then if you're good enough, you play in the Olympics. Now you've got a bare-bone professional league. Nobody's going to the games. They're all foreign imports, and, and maybe two or three Americans on each team. Still no youth soccer. Then Pele came, and the whole world changed. And in a couple of years, we went from 1,000 people at the game to 77,000. Here's where it went wrong, Steve. I think the first wrong turn, the fork in the road, all of a sudden, money became a real issue, not in the pro game, but at the youth level. And at the youth level now, because there's a pro league with Pele and Cruyff and George Best, there's a pro league that's doing well, everybody jumped onto the youth bandwagon. But you know what they did, Steve? They started charging money. It was a money grab. So quickly, mm -hmm. it became a money grab at the youth level, compounded by the fact that it it back then and still today, it was a middle-class white suburban sport. So that was the real disconnect that we're still trying to get over today. This is a sport at the youth level that's got to be embraced by every culture, every ethnicity. It's got to be inner city. It's got to be in the streets. But still in this country, it's a money grab at the youth level. You know the old joke from the Men and Blazers guys, right? Uh, soccer is the sport of the future and has been for 30 years. And, and while that's funny, okay, it, it certainly stings a lot of the people who've been at the forefront of pushing this game as long as you have. You know, this is a topic we're going to delve into a lot deeper on future editions of the podcast. But isn't it weird that pockets of this country now in 2020, Seattle, Portland, and Atlanta, and I know we're in the time of a pandemic, so part of what I'm saying doesn't really resonate right now, but cities like that, they've embraced their MLS teams and Major League Soccer to the point where those clubs are clearly an irreplaceable part of those cities and certain communities here. And yet three cities for me come to mind when I think of the antithesis of those markets. I think of New York, where you and I dwell. I think of Chicago and I think of Boston. It's almost as if there will be limitations to what the game represents to the United States until those markets are conquered someday. Will they be conquered in our lifetime at all? It is weird, but I'll tell you why. Because those three cities that you mentioned, Boston, Chicago, and New York, if you're in any one of those cities during a World Cup that's being broadcast, those cities are popping. The streets, the cafes, the restaurants, you would think you're in Milan or London or Rio. So the big disconnect or the big hurdle I think we as a soccer nation have to get over is we have to get better. We're just not great at it right now. In New York and yeah, yeah. Chicago and Boston, we're not competing with the NBA or the NHL or baseball. We're competing with them watching the Premier League and La Liga and Bundesliga and, and international soccer. So those are very sophisticated markets. I'm not saying the Northwest isn't, but it's a different mindset. Look, in Seattle, they don't even care if the U.S. national team comes to play a game. They want to watch the Seattle Sounders. 
which is what we aspire in so many of the major cities across the U.S. The frightening thing about those cities is that they've had teams that have been pretty good, at least uh, in the case of New England, where they've been to a championship game on multiple occasions. Chicago had great success early and then it petered out. And since 2013 in the New York area, the Red Bulls, in full disclosure, you and I have done their broadcast for quite some time, have been one of the better regular season teams in soccer. And still, we are left with gaping holes in trying to develop the fan base in those cities. Um, a little bit more about you, I think we should we should do here, because I, I think we're introducing you to a lot of people who don't connect with a certain period of soccer history that you represent. You once said there's a reason you never had a problem getting the meeting you wanted, the reference you needed, because of three things you can put on your business card. And I couldn't tell if you were being facetious or not. Harvard, Olympian, goalkeeper for Pelé. So, so which one resonates most? <laughs> I was being a little bit facetious, but I was being absolutely truthful. And that's, that's not patting myself on the back. That's just really pointing out how, how superficial some people are. <laughs> that, hey, you went to Harvard? You must be bright. So Harvard resonates, obviously, with those in academia. Uh, goalkeeper <laughs> for Pelé, look, that resonates with the soccer world for sure. Uh, Olympian, interesting. It, it, it resonates with everybody. That one transcends the sport of soccer or academia. So I was being truthful to say, look, none of those things, Steve, define me. I don't even like saying them. But, but you know, what defines me collectively, and, and my, son, my son once pointed it out to me. He said, Dad, you know, I looked up the history of the Olympics since they started in Greece. Uh, there have only right. been 125 Olympic athletes that graduated from Harvard. He said, that, that's pretty good, Dad. And, and I said, look, forget that. There's only been one goalkeeper that played in Pele's final game and won him a championship. So <laughs> that, that one's pretty good, too. Look, Steve, I don't think any of those things should define a person. I, I am certainly individually and collectively proud of them, uh, but I'd rather be defined yeah. uh, by am I a good father, am I a good person, those type of things. But, yes, proud of those things. Is the game in this country now any better than what we were watching more than four decades ago? And perhaps this is a fair example. Perhaps it's not. But if side by side, let's say I was to compare the quality of play that we saw in Soccer Bowl 78 at Giants Stadium, and I specifically use that game as an example because Pelé was no longer playing competitively and you had even moved on from the Cosmos as well. But is the quality of play superior to what we witnessed in, let's say, any of the recent MLS Cup championship games? Which was better? Yeah, great question. Yeah, and it hasn't been posed to me before, but, you know, I'll take a nanosecond to think about it. And I, and I'll, I would say uh, back then in 78, that soccer bowl was better than what we've seen here. And I'll, I'll, I'll try and point out why. And maybe it, it goes back to your question about Chicago and Boston and New York. So players at that time coming to the old NASL uh, were not all over 
their prime at the end of their careers. We had players like Trevor Francis who went on to do great things in England. Uh, we had uh, Naskins. Beckenbauer came when he was 32. Th those teams, I think, had more, more, more world-class players. I mean, to be sure. So the other thing about the sport, which you know well, Steve, it's, it's, it's not the NFL and the NBA where you can't compare 40 years apart where the size and physicality of the players is so different in, in the NFL or the NBA. Mm -hmm. Soccer players are the same size, right? So Messi today and Pele back then, same size. Look, are athletes today better? Do they take better care of their bodies? Absolutely. Uh, the physiology, the training, the analytics. Uh, you know, back then we were eating cheeseburgers and drinking rum and Cokes. That's, that's how we got ready, ready for a game. But look, I think getting back to Major League Soccer and your question, if I could wave a wand, uh, and this is a d discussion for another time, you've got you've to unleash the money. This is all about, you know, money buys the best players. And there is every player in the world would want to come to Major League Soccer if there was parity in terms of the money. So my last point, especially in those big cities in Boston and New York and Chicago, look, if you had uh, Manchester City playing here, if you had Real Madrid, if you had Juventus, they'd be sold out every game. All right, we know who the two most famous players on the planet are. Uh, and we both have uh, these thoughts that one day before the cleats get hung up, they will come and spend some time here in America. Uh, this is uh, subject matter for five different episodes down the road. Uh, you believe that will happen, though, for either Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo to come to MLS or not? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, I, I was actually hoping both for Messi they, neither, and... Neither one has to. No, they don't have to, but they, they, they want to. And their agents want them to. And their families want them to experience America. It's no different than back in my day. Beckenbauer, Appelle, or Carlos Alberto, or Canalia, they didn't have to leave. But they wanted to, to see America. They wanted to get out of the limelight. They won't be stalked. And Messi will not be stalked if he's walking down Fifth Avenue. And, and Cristiano Ronaldo, he probably wants to be stalked. But I, I think there's every reason for them to come here. And, and I think Messi should come now. Not, not like we're hearing, you know, sign a five-year deal at some point with Man City and come to MLS the final two years. You once ate glass. You want to tell the story? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, look, I always go back to, because we in my generation, it was always before Pele right. and after Pele. After Pele came, it became, it, it exploded. Both our salaries, the crowds, the attendance, it was like traveling with rock stars. Before Pele, we were just a bunch of guys who, who loved playing soccer and probably had three other jobs at the same time. So... We, the Cosmos, before Pelé, we trained at Hofstra where the New York Jets played football. And, and they would come to training right after we would leave the field. We became friendly with the players. Uh, Joe Namath uh, got me my first deal with Puma because Namath and Clyde Frazier, they're Puma guys. So one day, this, this defensive back comes up to me as I'm leaving the field, and he comes on, and he says, you know, I, I heard it, you're a tough guy. I, uh, I can eat glass. His name was Mike Battle, defensive back for sure. the Jets. He said, I, I can eat glass, so don't give me this goalkeeper stuff. It ain't no way you could do that. <laughs> so <laughs> it, 
you know, obviously I took the bet, right? So, so we met at a, at a bar about a mile from uh, Hofstra where the Jets in the Cosmos practice. Um, and I ate it <laughs> very quickly. It hurt like hell. Uh, do you <laughs> spend do most again. of your life with your kids and your grandkids in the do as I say, not as I did mode or, or not? <laughs> I, try, I try and hide my past from them and <laughs> many aspects of it. But look, we, you know, I'm not being serious about it. We were the underdog, soccer. Right. People laughed at soccer and 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 I made a conscious effort to promote the game. And 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 I talked back to anybody who who didn't think it was a good sport. And that included uh, on that team, Joe Klecko and Marty Lyons. Those are mm -hmm. big boys to argue with. But but we were trying to sell the sport and, and we always have been. Uh, starting with episode two, uh, I'll tell our listeners, we will delve more into the nuts and bolts of the present day game. Uh, Premier League is underway. Bundesliga kicks on Friday. La Liga is up and running, uh, except for a handful of teams. And Serie A is just around the corner. Uh, off the top of your head, name the best team in the world and tell me why. <laughs> Tom, listen, I read all the reports. I don't care what the reports say. For me, you're the champion until somebody beats you. So for me, it's Bayern Munich. Uh, yeah. A lot of the a lot of the experts are ranking Man City as the best team in the world. You know, Liverpool's up there, two or three PSG. Uh, but for me, you know, until somebody knocks off Bayern Munich last year, and I'm not denigrating the individual league championships, but I think. Champions League is the ultimate definition, how arduous it is to, to go through it, get to the final and win it. So for me, it's Bayern Munich until somebody knocks them off. You know, this weekend, Liverpool allows three goals at home on Saturday. They won. Jurgen Klopp probably wants to pull his hair out. But these are the games that leagues and television networks crave, aren't they? Mistake-filled games that make for thrilling entertainment i think in secret rooms in the back they say let's put up seven every single game that we show and put on don't they yeah they do steven and again you you you're illustrating a point that people really really you know don't don't emphasize enough it's a game of mistakes this is this game is crazy why it gets such a a visceral reaction from the fans it's tribal because in a 90-minute game, and I've, I, look, I've had people point this out to me as a broadcaster. In, in a 90-minute game, every minute, every touch, every second can be a moment of magic or a mistake. You, you love to see a game like that. Now was Virgil van Dyke making mistakes in ultimately what was a 4-3 game. Uh, I'm going to tie this first episode with this. Monday, Christian Pulisic will wear the number 10 shirt in Chelsea's opening match on the road at Brighton and Hal Albion. Think about this for a second. A young man from Hershey, Pennsylvania, wearing the 10 shirt for what is, you tell me, one of the 10 most popular teams on the planet. What does this say and what does this represent? Wow. I'm trying to think of a, a relevant analogy, but this, this would be like, this would be like, uh, you know, a kid from Lima, Peru or Iceland, all of a sudden being the center fielder for the New York Yankees or the L.A. Dodgers. So this is so surreal 
that first of all, uh, you know, I like everybody else, I'm proud of him. I'm going to watch him. Uh, just the trajectory he's taken, the path he's taken is fantastic. It, it, again, it's like somebody in a remote country growing up there where the sport is not number one, and all of a sudden uh, he, he's a point guard for the L.A. Lakers. So, you know, kudos to Pulisic. But it does, Steve, and I don't want to leave on a down note, it points out the disconnect we still have in this country if we aspire to win a World Cup, if we aspire to be as, as good as we can be. And that is college. You know, if you're still here in America, whether you're, you've immigrated here, whether you're born here, whether you're naturalized, your aspiration should be to go to college. The path for a young player like Pulisic is very different, and, it, and, and college is not in the cards. So that's still a, a problem, an issue we have to solve here, but I'll be watching him on Monday. You know what I thought was interesting about this first episode? How many times you weaved a connection to other major professional sports leagues in North America and connected it to soccer? And uh, that kind of goes to your background because you played everything as a kid. You fell in to goalkeeping, didn't you? Yeah, Steve. And, and, you know, if there are too many analogies, you know, you know our soccer audience. They're so soccer-hungry. And my apologies if I relate to the other sports, but that's who I am. I grew up, and think about goalkeeping, I grew up a shortstop in baseball, drafted by the New York Mets. I was a point guard in basketball. I was a running back in football. And that hand-eye coordination, when a goalkeeper went down in high school and the coach needed a goalkeeper, he said, I need a, somebody who's got hand-eye coordination, who's a little bit crazy. You're a shortstop in baseball. You're a point guard in basketball. You wrestle, track and field, pole vault. What do you think? I said, hey, I'll give it a shot. Too late to turn back now. Your first episode's in the books. <laughs> Shep, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Pulisic season opening game. Who in Major League Soccer should have our attention in this COVID-affected season? And surely we're going to weave in a tale or two from the past. Tuesday. On the next edition of Believe in Soccer, the Shet Messing Daily Cast. See you then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.